podcast brought to you by Read More Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thank You for Asking. Thanks for coming back for a quick listen on the pod this week. I appreciate you all so much for being here and I hope you're doing really well. I have a question for you. What if everything we've ever been told about happiness is wrong? I know I personally have been questioning what it actually means to be happy more so than ever in the past year, especially in my life, looking at what does it mean to do things that really bring me joy, that fill my cup, that make me feel like I have a purpose in the world and that I'm actually living out that purpose a little bit every day. There's so much that we've been told about happiness, so much that we've been told about the ways that we achieve it, whether that means you know, choosing a specific career path or a certain kind of relationship, having the certain kind of friends, looking a certain kind of way on the outside, having certain emotions on the inside. There's been a lot that we've digested in the course of our lives about being happy. But for some reason, there are a lot of us who still wouldn't necessarily describe themselves as happy. And I wanted to know why that was. And more importantly, how could we change that? Today's guest is Stephanie Harrison, the founder of The New Happy. The New Happy helps us to find true, lasting happiness by focusing on how we use our gifts to serve the world. Stephanie Harrison is an expert on happiness and well-being. She studied at the University of Pennsylvania and is currently working on a book called The New Happy, which is going to go a little bit deeper into all of these happiness principles that The New Happy talks about. If you've been wondering whether you're the only one kind of spinning this hamster wheel of doing things that are supposed to make you happy, but not getting the results that you thought you would get, this conversation is for you. Stephanie and I really dig into how we can foster more community and more happiness in our lives and talk about the things that are systemically and societally stopping us from being happier, healthier, fuller, more whole human beings. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Stephanie. So hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me for a little bit. How are you? I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. And I'm feeling feeling pretty good today. Just really excited to be here with you. Amazing. Could you just for people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, could you just give someone like just give your quick intro? Yeah, of course. So I have founded a company called The New Happy, which is devoted to spreading this message that being ourselves in service of the greater good is the path to well-being and to lasting happiness. And it's based on my research that I did when I was studying positive psychology. And I am really passionate about helping people One, to realize just how wonderful and amazing they are. And two, helping them to find ways in order to share that amazingness with the world around them. And um, that's that's the work that I do. It's what drives me. I love that. And I think when I found, I found the new happy last year, probably about a little over a year ago, Mm -hmm. and it just resonated with me so much. I think, especially with these last very chaotic two to three (laughs) years that we've had, everyone is kind of just looking for a little bit of relief, but digging a bit deeper into your background, how, Mm -hmm. how did you even become interested in digging into that academically? Like, I don't think many people think about, oh, I'm going to go back to school and like study (laughs) happiness. So how did you end up on that path? It's such a great question. And really, it's a almost a direct line between 
uh, my own personal experience and, and where I am today. So the short version, and I can dig into anything if you're interested in going deeper, but the short version is essentially that I had been living my life according to what I now call old happy. But back then, I didn't, I didn't know what it was. It was just the way that I thought that you were supposed to be happy. And yeah. that predominant message is that you basically should just keep achieving more and more and more forever. And you always have to be better than you were before. Always have Ooh. to be hustling and striving and achieving and competing and beating other people and all that kind of mentality. And so for me, that manifested as I was living in New York City. I had this big fancy dream job that was everything I thought I wanted. I was traveling all the time. You know, I I thought that I had everything kind of sorted and the arrogance is blinding (laughs) when I think back about it now. But I actually ended up experiencing a whole host of physical illness problems, of mental health challenges, feeling very disconnected, almost numb, like a sense of spiritual disconnectedness from myself and from the world around me. And ultimately, all of that made me realize that all of these choices I'd been making actually weren't contributing to making me happier, even though they were what I thought would be what made me happier. And I thought that was really interesting. Why did that happen? You know, and I started thinking about it a lot and then started thinking, well, who might be, who might have some answers for this question? Because if I ended up in this spot, maybe there's other people who also have had a similar experience and mm. maybe we can figure this out so that we can avoid some suffering and pain collectively. And that's really what led me to positive psychology, which was really about, I would say, like 10 to 15 years in at that point and was doing a lot of this work around how do we empirically study the questions of what it means to live a good life. And uh, yeah, from there, it kind of just just exploded for me in terms of my passion and my interest in that. Uh, But you're right. It was was a very serendipitous path, I I would say. Yeah, I think a lot of people relate to that feeling you were describing, like what you described as the old happy. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's like, not only is it how we view happiness, it's really like how we set up every system of our society to function. (laughs) It's like where everything points to overachieve, overindulge, overcommit, like we we like excess in this society. And too much of anything is not good for you. But I also think it's interesting that in even your early thoughts about like, well, what if I rethought how I approach this? Mm. Your first thought was also about helping to alleviate everyone's suffering and kind Mm. of you saw the need for community early on. So I'm wondering in your studies, like how did the concept of like a necessity for community come Mm. up? Because that's something that the new happy talks about a lot. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. It means so much to me. And I feel so strongly about it. I think that all of this really stems from, as you mentioned, our individualistic toxic culture that we have, particularly here in the US and in other Western countries, Um, of course, which is then predicated upon systems of racism and classism and all of these other things as well. So all of these systems are interlocking and creating this horrible situation for all of us. And that is one of the most important things I think that we have to examine. We have to talk about it first so that we can examine it and then break it down and build something that works, that actually works for people. Yeah. My, my point is that this isn't really working, really. Like it's not working for the great majority of people. So we need to fix it and make it better. And if I, when I started thinking about this whole, well, this whole old happy is predicated on individualism. 
So what's the opposite of that? Obviously, collectivism. And how do we bring some of that spirit of community into the way that we approach our well-being? Because when you think about it, like so much of the almost all of the literature that I have read in terms of self-help and the message, motivational speakers and all that. It's all about you, right? Like you yeah. do, you figure it out. You can do anything you want to, right? It's like me, me, me. And actually we change so much better when we do it together, when we have yeah. support and we have people who love us and who are cheering us on and who share the goals and the path. It's so much easier And who benefit from us being better too, right? Like if you're trying to improve your situation, but everyone's like, we actually would make more money and function better if you kind of weren't doing that good. It's not going to work out for you. Like it doesn't matter. I know. And it's like, we could just, it seems so obvious to me when I started thinking (laughs) about it. I was like, well, this, why don't we do this? Why isn't this better? And so I feel really strongly that we're only as well as the person who's suffering the most in the world at the end of the day. And so we need to rally ourselves and help lift up everyone who's suffering and in pain, which is all of us to certain degrees, but there are certain people and groups and communities and causes that need attention now and will in the future and all that good stuff. But I just don't think that we can ever experience individual happiness that's true and lasting without thinking about the collective. I don't think it's possible. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that if the pandemic has taught no one anything, it's that it doesn't matter how good of a job you do by yourself. If everyone else is doing the wrong thing, we're all going to be in the wrong together. That is the truth, isn't it? Wow. Such a great point. Yeah. So kind of looking at what the the new happy means then, Mm -hmm. how are you defining happiness in this new phase? So how I define it is using your gifts to serve the world. And it has these two pillars of being yourself and giving of yourself. So two different Mm -hmm. ways to say something that's objectively basically the same thing. And I think that it's really important because if you think about traditional models of well-being, like, um, you know, for example, like Maslow's hierarchy and things like that, it always starts with the self and it's important, of course, we have to make sure that we're taking care of our physical basic needs and that we're supporting our well-being so that we can go out and do what is needed in the world. But I personally believe that that model is actually quite flawed. And in fact, actually, Maslow never drew it as a pyramid. It was something that was done for him after mm. after he died. Wow. Um, consultant. <laughs> um, <laughs> Always a consultant, just coming in and making all the charts. And like, this is exactly. the thing now. <laughs> and the irony is I used to be a consultant. So like, that's where a lot of my graphs come from. <laughs> that's so funny. And the graphs are good too. But I'm always like, that's so interesting because you, you're taught that as if Maslow just like, he drew a triangle and was like, this is it. Totally. And that's my understanding. So Basically, I think though, like it has to be an intermingling. And so this metaphor I use, I always put my hands together and cross the fingers over them like you're holding hands with yourself because there's no way to be yourself in isolation of the world, right? There's no way that you can not, unless, I mean, I'm sure there are exceptions. You know, I know there are spiritual people and other people who choose to live isolated lives, but talking to most of us, right? We are embedded within a global context, within a local context, within a family, within a system, within a school, within a job, all of these specific things and systems that are a part of us. And so we actually can't separate the two. 
And I think that advising people to wait until they've kind of satisfied all of their own needs and all of their desires in order to then turn towards being of service people is actually the wrong message because Mm. we aren't, our desires are kind of inexhaustible (laughs) in the world. That is so true. So we're just going to keep going, right? Like we're just going to keep doing that. But being of service in a way that's authentic to you. And what I really want to advocate for people to find is what does it mean for you to be of service in a way that brings you personal joy and fulfillment and gratification and all of those wonderful things? And how do we find that for people so that they can experience those things simultaneously that they build off of one another and support them? Because ideally, that's how they interact. We know that from the research that doing good has a host of positive benefits for your health, for your well-being, for your relationships, for society in general. And I think that it needs to be more primary in how we talk about happiness. That makes so much sense. And honestly, just you bringing up and really examining Maslow's pyramid has made me think about it in a way I never have because one issue that I have a lot Mm -hmm. with the way that we put capitalism like Mm -hmm. on a pedestal is that there's this idea that it's okay if there's this super, super privileged, wealthy class because ideally they're going to be philanthropic, right? Right. But then that basically says because they were able to accomplish all of their needs and their desires are always met at such a high level, they can then deem how help is redistributed. And Just thinking about how little agency you have as a person who's not able to financially Mm -hmm. execute all of your needs and desires, that means you never get to be the person that's Mm -hmm. giving. You're always just waiting for someone to give to you. And this new model really shifts it. So it's like, no, we're all kind of in a circle versus like you're at the top and I'm waiting for you to like hand me down something and eventually you'll hand me down enough that I'm able to like move up a little bit and hand someone else down. Like, and it's not sustainable. So that completely just like makes so much sense. And I think also points out more of the holes that we have in the way that we have structured society. Yeah. Oh, I love the way you describe that. And the visual, the visual element of it, I just love imagining it in that way of like passing things along to one another, right? Because this is the other thing, like we already do this, right? Like this is how a lot of people already live where people are good. People want to help. People love, they want to share and support. We need to, we just need to activate those tendencies and make them stronger and give them, give people the tools and information that they need. Because to be honest, like for me, I didn't, no one ever told me that pursuing achievements had a ceiling and like you hit it really quickly, basically. Yeah. You know, like, and that the second that you, you work really hard, the the problem I see over and over again in myself, I mean, I have the, the most intimate experience with myself, but over and over again, it was like, I would set my sights on some objective. I would work really, really hard and give up a lot. I would neglect things that were important to me in order to get there. I would get there and I'd be happy for like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) If that, right. If that. (laughs) And then it would go away. And then I would feel complete shame that it was something wrong with me. I hadn't chosen the right thing. There was something that I was doing incorrectly. I wasn't lucky. I would never be happy. All of those things. When in fact, it was the whole setup of the game. Yeah, literally. Yeah. 
You also mentioned in your definition of the new happy that we should be looking for things that bring us joy. And I think that there's a lot of conflation between, well, what is happiness and what is joy? And I think the way that I've always broken it down or separated the two in my mind is that happiness is like what's happening at the moment, right? So it's like, I get a new thing and I love this new thing and I'm so happy about it. But joy is the thing that sustains me when I don't have a thing to be happy about. Mm -hmm. But I think that that also kind of limits both of those things to these current structures and systems. So how do you view happiness versus joy? That is such a good question. And I, I really love your definition because I think that, and honestly, there's a lot of debate. I've read like hundreds of pages about (laughs) scientists debating these terms and how they should be defined I think that I go to something pretty similar to what you described. I think that when we talk about happiness traditionally, we're thinking about this sort of gratification state, like what you described, right? Like you got something, yay, like life is good for a little while or like things are going well, right? Right. Like when when life is um, smooth and, you know, easy or feels like you're you're kind of in the groove, that kind of stuff. Like it's easy to be happy in those moments. But over the years, I have become more interested in joy because I feel like it's a deeper level of happiness. I feel like it's, as you describe, it's more of a bedrock, like mm-hmm. creating a bedrock of joy within you that you can tap into and that you know how to renew for yourself, that you can draw upon when things are really difficult in your life. That is the holy grail to me. Like, how do we get that? Because right. we know that we'll. Like I could go out and buy myself a nice lunch and I'd feel happy about it or something like that, right? Like I, yeah. I can go and, and kind of experience that. But the experience of joy, I think that we're both describing, it's very different. It's something that you have to cultivate and it's something that takes thoughtfulness and intention and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can list off maybe... 30 different triggers that would like spark that like happiness. Like I think back to like the first phase of the pandemic and lockdowns where everyone was just ordering stuff online just to like feel something. It's like, I just need a package to come in the mail so I can look forward to something because I've been in my house all day. (laughs) Like I think every day I was like, I'm going to wake up and there's going to be a box from Target (laughs) and I know that and that's going to get me through. But are there things that can be those joy triggers too? Mm. Like, even thinking, I can ex- talk about moments where I know I've experienced deep joy, but I don't that? know. I would love to hear. Like the one that comes to mind first is the birth of my goddaughter. So like oh. when she was born, like that was a very joyful moment. But it's also like something did happen, but it wasn't that there was like a big event. It was just that her being here was just like so moving mm-hmm. and joyful and emotional. But you can't you can't trigger that every time you need like a joy hit. So no. how do we keep cultivating that joy feeling? Yeah, that's so beautiful. I I know what you mean. It's like there's different there's a spectrum of joy, isn't there? There's the joy mm-hmm. of those huge life moments and yeah. they're so precious in their rarity almost. So what I know from my experience and what I know from the research is that the best way to experience more joy is to expand how much you love. Mm-hmm. And as, you know, kind of potentially cheesy as that sounds. I I love that. I really believe it because I think the way that I think about joy is that joy is when you experience a connection and it's a connection to yourself, to others, to the world around you, to the spiritual world, or to 
um, forces that you can't see or to all of humanity and all those, those relationships and those, those connections. And they can be brief and ephemeral, but they're strong and profound even at the same time. And the best way in order to strengthen those connections is to cultivate a sense of love and kindness and compassion because it opens you up to experiencing love in a way that when you limit love to just being like something you feel for your your partner or for your family members or whoever, then you know, you're cutting off love and you're cutting yeah. off joy. So the more loving that we can be and cultivating that sense of love within us, the more joy we will experience. That's so true. And even just thinking about the experience that I just shared, like that was literally an actual expansion of Your love. the love in my life. So of course that is like a joy sparking yeah. moment. I think what I'm sure a lot of people are struggling to deal with is how do you strive to have those moments where you are increasing your chances of letting that love in. Mm. And also every time you turn on the news, it's mm. like sadness, sadness, sadness. So I wonder just from the research, it's like we've always had a ton of things going on in the world and there have always been people who are happy. So with everything happening, what can we do to protect like the chemical makeup of just how we are as humans responding to things without like completely getting depleted every day? It's so true. And it's such a difficult question, isn't it? Because I think that all of us want to make things better None of yeah. us want none of us want this, right? Like no. <laughs> at a deep level. Like I think that I I believe that, you know, there are of course there are always gonna be a handful of bad actors, but most people deep down just they just wanna be happy, right? Like and they just wanna make help make other people happy. And I think that really there's a couple of like kind of practical things that I I've been thinking about and that I might consider. And the first is maybe dividing those into two buckets. The first bucket being what you can do for yourself. And like the second one being how to, how to connect this new happy philosophy with the moments that we're going through right now. And I think that the first thing that I have noticed in myself is this immediate reaction of fear and Mm -hmm. fear. What's going to happen to me? How is this going to affect me? And immediately you can watch it. Fear contracts until you become like the smallest, most, a uh, self-focused version of yourself, right? There's really hard to feel love when you're afraid. Yeah. <laughs> really, really hard. And so I think the first thing for me was recognizing that I am afraid and that it's normal to be afraid and that there are other millions of people out there who are also afraid. So mm-hmm. first of all, it's that recognition that we're not alone. And it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of community. Like, if we can recognize that, yeah, maybe I'm by myself in my house right now and I'm really nervous and really afraid, but there are millions of people out there who are also feeling that way in their own unique circumstances. All of a sudden that starts to open you back up a little bit so that you become a little bit less closed off. There's a little bit more love that can come in. And I think from there, that's when we can shift towards from empathy where we're feeling the pain of other people and the fear and all of that stuff, especially watching the images come in on the news lately. Yeah. It's, we have a natural empathic reaction to this stuff. You know, we, we feel people's pain when we look at it like that. And so instead we have to actually be able to distance ourselves just a tiny bit to move towards compassion. And 
compassion is the desire to alleviate suffering and it's the action to do so. And that then leads us to the kind of give yourself portion, which is what can each of us do? You know, we, we cannot, we can't fix this. No one person is that is listening is is responsible for fixing the, you know, for example, the conflict in Ukraine, the war in Ukraine right now, and many of the other difficulties that we're going through, but we can all do one thing. We can all do our part. And that sense of helplessness is corrosive to hope, to action. And we have to overcome it by just doing one small thing. So like donating, preparing care packages, advocating to your representatives about like accepting refugees or for advocating for specific things, right? Like we can all do something small. And if we can just all do something small, we can have a positive effect on not only ourselves, but on the world around us in in the way that we can. The feeling of helplessness being corrosive is so relatable right now because everything Mm -hmm. does feel so big. And when your problems feel big and you feel small, it seems like your actions almost don't matter. But I mean, it doesn't, but you making a small action with millions of other people, that's a really big action. So I love that you just emphasize that your small portion is a part of a collective. And if you stop thinking about your small portion being the end all be all and just honor the fact that you are Mm -hmm. in community and you're a part of a much larger action, you do feel more like an active participant Mm -hmm. in problem solving. Isn't it interesting? Because it's almost like this pressure we put on ourselves to be like, well, if I can't fix it, then I can't do anything, which is so that Isn't that also in a way like a element of toxic individualism rather than like, we're all in this together. Let's all grab arms and do our tiny part and like march together, which is really the only way that things are going to change and get better. It's also the reason why we struggle so much with having leisure activities because we're like, if I can't do this and be the best and win the award and like make the great thing, then what is the point of doing it? And it's like, well, you could just like have fun. It's like, no, that's a waste of time. How do I make my leisure as productive as possible for me? Like I need to get something from it. It's so true, isn't it? Like we've really been warped by so many of these messages we've received and, you know, the whole point of it's having to remind ourselves that we deserve rest and that we deserve care and all that stuff. It's, I I think that, I think we obviously are in a point where we need to remind ourselves of that and we need to remind each other of that. And also I would love for us to move to a world where that's not necessary. Yeah, completely. Hmm. Another thing that you mentioned when you were talking about fear is how we feel it. Like, hmm. and I think we are in a society too, where because of the, you know, the amazing way our healthcare system is set up in this country, okay. we're really good at identifying when things like feel kind of bad. Like, okay, this feels bad enough that I need to go see a doctor. Like we know what bad feelings feel like, but most people I think can't describe like what a good day feels like physically. Hmm. Like we don't know what happens to your body when you're like, I'm just really happy right now, or I just feel really calm right now. So knowing the science of it, what are those like happy signs you can look for to know that like you're in a really good state physically? I love that question too. I think that the feeling for me, I I would love to hear what, what your experience is like. The feeling for me when I am in a happy, a truly happy state, not a gratification happy state, like more of the joy we were talking about, I guess. I think it would be that 
I don't feel like I need to go anywhere or do anything else. Like yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just there and I can relax into that moment. Even if the moment is really brief, even if it's just walking my dog for 10 minutes in the morning or something like that, it's like, I don't need to be anywhere. I'm just, I'm just here. That's how it feels to me. I don't know. What about you? No, I agree. It's that feeling of intentional like stillness for yeah. me where I'm like, I'm not thinking about the next thing. I'm not thinking about the, the eight things that I didn't cross off my to-do list. I'm able to just really disconnect from the feeling of having to be. And I can just exist in this moment without yeah. an expectation of performing in that moment. Yeah. Because I think even when you're experiencing that like rush of happiness like if you're out doing something there is a level of performance to that too versus when I'm just really feeling true just joy and bliss and peace it's the detachment from having to do all of that yeah it's true it gives you these little pauses where you can just exist as you said that's and you know biologically when we're when we're stressed our sympathetic nervous system is in charge and it's running a fight or flight program and unfortunately for most of us it's running all the time because we're constantly triggering ourselves with stressful things right yeah. like emails and oh i just finished a call so let me just hop on the news for the next hour and like yeah. watch that even though i know that that's probably not going to be the best thing for me. <laughs> um right like whatever we because again we're fighting our biology here like we live in a world that has uh, all sorts of ways to override our greatest intentions and makes it really addictive to engage in these things um, yeah. so when but when our parasympathetic nervous system is in charge when it's running when it takes over and it's running the show it's a completely different experience, right? It's, it's, um, it's that sense of peace, I think, and, or of acceptance, even it's like, you, it doesn't even all have to be okay. It's just that you're here and that's that's good enough. That's all you needed right now. Yeah. And you can feel that way. Even like you said, when things aren't going right, if you are leaning into community, because then it's not, everything's not going right and I can't fix it. Therefore, cue the despair is everything's not going right. I can't fix it, but I can be here. And there are people who are going to lift me until I'm able to lift other people in return. Exactly. Like I can call Amber. I'm, I'm okay. Like somebody's in my corner. I can do something about this or somebody else can help me think this through rather than gosh, the weight of the world is on my shoulders and I'm the only one who can who can figure it out. And that's not true, right? Like we all have unique experiences, but there are always people who will listen and who can relate. We just have to, we just have to find everyone and bring them all together. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a really good point too, because I think that one thing that adults really struggle with after a certain age is like, I don't know how to make friends anymore. Mm. And for so much of your life, your community is only based on proximity. Like you're friends mm-hmm. with the kids you went to school with yeah. and then like whoever you went to college with and then whoever is at work, you're going to hang out with your work friends. And it's like, that is fine. But yeah. then things happen where like, I don't know, everyone has to work and live from home for two years and you don't have the convenience of proximity, but the need for community still yeah. exists. So I mean, is that something that you've also had to navigate in this work, just helping people find community where it's not always convenient to find community? Yeah. And it's really difficult. Um, and it's something I'd really like to focus more on in the coming months. Like I, what I would really like to do is to be able to put together some sort of actual home for some of our, the people in our community who are interested where they can connect with one another and find each other. Because I just believe so strongly that there's all these amazing people who would love each other and yeah. they, they could benefit and 
find joy in those relationships. So I think that for me, that's going to become an increasingly big priority with the work that I do. Um, and also because communities are more powerful when they're decentralized, right? When they have that kind of support and and people can express themselves and share and all of that. Um, so that's really important to me. And it's something I personally had to navigate um, because... I have, my partner has been really sick for over four years and he was very vulnerable with the pandemic. And so we completely isolated. I didn't see another person for over a year, the first year of the pandemic. And I um, eventually just, I hit, I hit the wall. I couldn't do it anymore. And by this time he was almost unable to speak to me. He was bed bound. He was just like completely um, dependent on me for care. So it wasn't like I, was even really like able to engage with him in the way that I hope would hope for. And so at that point I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I need support. And so I ended up moving home to be with my parents and to be with my family who at least, which, which immediately helped me so much because I, I didn't even realize how lonely I was really when, when that yeah. was happening. And um, even still with, I've only seen like two or three friends since 2020 and just being disconnected like that from my in-person community then led me to become even more <laughs> zealous about building this online community because yeah. it wasn't just that I was, I needed it too. Like I really wanted that support and care and connection and to find other people who were in the same boat and who wanted to support one another and all that. And so that, again, having had this very personal experience with loneliness and feeling disconnected and realizing how essential it is to have people in some way around you, whether that's online or in person or on the phone or anything like that, um, it's just made me feel even more passionately about it. Yeah, that's so hard. And I know so many people had similar moments in the pandemic where they were like, if I don't see another human, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I... Like I live alone and I think from oh. March until at least in the fall, I like didn't see so it was the same for you. anyone. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, and I consider myself like deeply introverted. Like I recharge by yeah. going into my little cave and like, I need to be alone, but there's a, a huge difference between I'm stepping away to recharge and I am cutting myself off from yeah. society essentially. Like that is very hard. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry that you had to endure that as well. And like all of there's, I know there's, our stories are sadly so common, right? Like so many yeah. people have had to go through that. And I love the distinction you made because again, I'm totally the same as you. I need to recharge by myself. And also I realize the limits of how much time I can be on my own and how, just how much I need other people, just how much yeah. I need. Do you think that you've had to rethink the way that you connect with community now too? Because I think before I had a very clear like, oh, I go to have dinner or drinks with my friend and like that is my dose of community or I do this. But now I find myself wanting community in different ways where I'm like, mm -hmm. I need more one-on-one -on -one time with this person or I just need to have like more check-ins with my sister or mm -hmm. I need like, I want to talk about this book with my friend. Like I just want to do this thing together where it has to be a little bit more specific for me. Yeah, like almost more intentional, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the same way. It's like the time feels so precious and I'm also conscious of what's been lost and I don't want to yes. waste it. I want to really soak it up. And I even notice myself being more present now because 
I have a little bit of a different perspective that I wouldn't have had before, where maybe I would have taken some of that time for granted and just been like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to see so-and-so every week forever moving forward. And then you have the experience where you don't and you're like, wow, I've been given another chance. (laughs) I've been given... Yes. prioritize this in a new way. Right. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating seeing how that's evolved. And I expect it to, as well as we kind of continue to move out of this in in some shape or form, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. Mm -hmm. I hope so. And I think rethinking of the way you can be more active outwardly, Mm because when we talk about community too, it's like, I need community support. I need a group of people here to help me when things are hard. Mm -hmm. I want to do these things and I can't do them by myself. I don't want to be in a silo, but also like, what do other people need of me yeah. that I can give to them? Because if all you do in community is like deplete everyone, <laughs> then that's not really a way to be in community either. And I know when you guys talk at the new happy, it's all about using your gift mm. and giving in so that you're able to then get out. So what does that look like? Giving oh of God. your gift? You're su- that's such a great question too. And I love how you phrase that because I actually think paradoxically, one of the best ways to get a community is to give to a community. Right. If you want, mm-hmm. if you want to find people to support you, then um, find people and just start supporting them, and you might end up also getting like a great thing come out of it. Um, yes, agreed. And, you know, when I think about giving of gifts, so I have, I think that again, one of the kind of old happy things is that you have to quit your job and find a job. <laughs> as a great purpose and it's your perfect like perfect thing perfect match for you all that good stuff and of course i'm i think i'm very supportive of all the people who are leaving their jobs now to find better roles and that are more aligned with their passions all of that is really important and really great it's also not accessible for everyone and right. it's not desirable for everyone either yes yeah so we <laughs> we also need to open the conversation to include all of these manifestations of giving your gifts and they don't just happen through your work So we talk about work. That's obviously really important because we spend a lot of time there. And it's probably for for many people, it's a great goal to to get paid to do what you love to do. Of course, that's wonderful if that's that's aligned with your goals. But when when I talk about giving of your gifts, I also want people to think really small, like macro. How do you make the person at the coffee shop in line behind you smile? Or mm. what do you do uh, when you are when you come across a mom in a grocery store and her kids are screaming and you're, uh, you know, you have a chance to kind of like help her out or not? Yeah. Like those little moments where you can be just a good human, essentially giving of your humanity to people. To me, that is the, that's the key for a healthy and happy society. And we all know, like if I know if I was to go help that woman in the grocery store, I'd probably walk away feeling better about myself, feeling happier, feeling a sense of joy. It's a win-win. How do we create more of those in our lives? And so I want to help people to think about the grand scheme of things from designing your life in service of your gifts. That's great. And then also, how do you show up like in the day to day and when things are hard and how are you honoring that at the same time? And what does that look like as we navigate that through the course of our lives? I love that. And encouraging people to think about what it means to even discover all the gifts that you Mm -hmm. have, all the ways that you can impact people, because that requires a certain amount of reflection and Mm -hmm. introspection and being quiet that you can't do when you're always like, got to achieve, got to move up, got (laughs) to step up, got to be better, got to win, got to get, got to make, got to earn. And 
And I think it's also very healthy to detach that from work. I mean, we really put everything on our job. That's the essence of who we are. The first thing you say when you meet someone is, oh, what do you do? (laughs) Or do you like it? Like, who do you know? Like, that's how we kind of contextualize everything. I mean, there are people who literally leave a job, you don't have health insurance. Like, it's everything is riding on your job. That job changes in the slightest and all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. And that to me is terrifying. It is. It is. It's like our identity is predicated on such uh, something so, so delicate that could fall yes. down at any moment and could crush us. And again, so many things wrong with the American system that contribute to this. I'm like, I'm so glad you call it the healthcare stuff. Like it's we've just made it, we've amplified it so much worse with all of the policies that are in place right now and the lack of leave and all of that stuff. That's so deeply frustrating. Yeah. I think that life is so much more than work. Work is, work is important too. Work matters, but it's not everything or it doesn't have to be everything. And Completely. I think there's something really interesting about listening to people's stories who are using their gifts in unexpected ways, who are who have committed that they're just going to never, um, they're always going to strive to be kind to other people. And like, what does that look like when, like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you practice these things? Or, you know, someone who has um, running a community garden in their neighborhood and that's their passion project on the weekends and they organize their neighbors to work towards it. We, it's almost like we treat them as less important, but that's completely untrue. They are, they are just as important. They are are valuable. They are contributing. They are positive. All of those things. Even if you were, let's say you're like a high powered executive and you make Mm -hmm. six figures at this great job and it's, it's the job and it's that, that doesn't have to be the thing that fuels you. If the community garden is really the thing that brings you joy. And I think that's what people have a hard time, like understanding. It's like, no, the thing that's winning the most, earning the most has to be the thing. Right. And it's like, no. And that's how we end up turning all of our like fun passions into mini businesses. And then it's not fun anymore. And it's like, wait, I thought I was having a good time. And now I'm not. Exactly. It's like I started. So I have um, my cousin is here visiting me this week. And we decided that we were going to learn how to make bread. And it's it's like we're back in time with the pandemic. But neither of us did. (laughs) We're just making up for it. But like we've been having so much fun. Just learning how to like make the starter and shape the bread and learning all the different techniques and all that stuff. And it's just been so fun to do something with no expectation that it's going to be this whole thing that I have to continue. If I, if I don't anymore, I can stop. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a hobby. It's just something I'm enjoying doing. And I'm so grateful for that, but I'm not sure that I would have found that valuable in the same way now in the past, you know? It's hard to, it's like, we have to feel like we have to justify everything that we give time to. And it's like, well, if I can't justify it, I can't do it. But just having fun is justification enough. Yeah, it is a hundred percent. This is so good. I could talk about this literally forever. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to talk about the book because I know you're working on a book that's going to be coming out. So what can people expect to see in the book? Well, I'm really excited about it. It's um, I'm just in the process of still writing it. So it's going to be... Um, so for anyone who follows us on Instagram, we'll be including all brand new illustrations, just like we do on Instagram. But they'll also be integrated throughout a more... Um, a guide to living your new happy life. And so 
the book will essentially number one, teach you what old happy is and point it out. Like kind of like we talked about, because again, it's just so much of the air we breathe. How do we, how do we bring attention to it in our own lives? And then it'll walk you through all of the research behind this stuff, how to start applying it in all sorts of different areas of your life, hearing stories from people who are doing that and giving... My hope is that it just gives everyone the tools and the inspiration that they need to to get started as well as to hopefully again to help people to find other people who share these passions and joys for making the world a better place and living more beautiful lives for themselves. And I, I just hope that it helps us to to give our community a resource that they can use that's really practical and really um, all completely backed it into science. I love it. I can't wait to read it. I also feel like it's going to just be beautiful because the new happy Instagram is just like so, even if you are just the kind of person where it's like, I'm only here on Instagram for like the views and the vibes. It's just so well done. And I always end up taking something away from it as well, but it's just really beautifully put together. I'm wondering if there are other resources or books or studies you recommend people who are really interested in kind of getting a handle on the way that they cultivate and view happiness, the way that they structure their life around these concepts, if there's like a place that they could start. Yeah, I would say for somebody who's just diving in and who really wants to understand the science and a very practical guide for how to uh, adopt it, there's a great book called The How of Happiness. It's probably about 10 years old now, but it does a really great job of helping you to learn the, I believe there's 12 science-backed strategies that you can use and then helping you to figure out which ones are a good fit for you. Because I mean, obviously social media is not the place for nuance, but like, (laughs) you know, gratitude isn't always going to work for everyone, right? Like it's, it's going to work for certain people more than others or, um, (laughs) doing writing, um, journaling, right? Any of these practices, they're not always going to be the best for you. And the book does a really nice job of breaking down how to figure that out and giving you some tools in order to do that. The other book I would recommend would be um, probably Flourish by Dr. Martin Seligman, where he gives a really great overview of more of the philosophy of well-being. So it's a little bit at a higher level, a little less practical, but also um, more kind of um, more to chew on from like an intellectual perspective as you consider how it applies to your life. Um, and he has a really great framework in there that's super helpful. So those would be two. I'm going to look into both of those because this is just super interesting to me. And I just remembered one thing that I did forget to ask that I think is really important. Yeah. Thinking about positive psychiatry, I always Mm -hmm. get my psychiatries and ologies mixed up. How do you hone in on these things and try to cultivate this in your life without falling trapped to the toxic positivity model? Because I do think that some people are just fed up with being told to like be happier and then everything will be fine. I completely agree. And I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I am so glad you bring that up. I think it's such an important question. And um, there's a therapist um, who just came out with a book called Toxic Positivity, which I believe came out like two or three weeks ago. And her Instagram handle is Sit With Wit, I believe. I haven't read oh, it yet. Oh, yeah. I follow her on Instagram. Yeah, but I've heard good things. So that might be something interesting for anyone who's really feeling that way. You know, my my perspective on happiness has... Um, I believe that living a happy life involves pain and suffering. And I think yeah. that... I think that we have to, and it sounds maybe kind of foolish and silly to say it like that, but no one, again, no one ever told me that. No one was ever like, hey, just if you 
achieve this thing, like you're still going to be sad sometimes. <laughs> like, you Completely. Know? It's especially if the whole point is to make space for more love. I don't know anyone who's ever loved without pain. Exactly. They go hand in hand. Exactly. And that's what I was just going to say. Like the, if you try to remove that stuff, you remove the good stuff too. Yeah. And so there's no way that we can avoid it. And in fact, our pain and suffering, while we want to eliminate as much as we can, and specifically, in my opinion, work to eliminate systemic challenges of pain and suffering, they are also what leads us to develop things like compassion and to mm-hmm. know how to show up for people who are suffering, right? Like, totally. I, I know that I, after what I've been through with Alex, my partner, like, I know that I am a better listener. I'm a better friend. I'm a better person because I have gone through something difficult that tested me and was was really hard. And I wanted to try and use that in order to... If it's going to happen, how can I make something out of it? And obviously, this is a very personal choice. And I don't, I'm not advocating for anyone feeling pressure that they have to turn difficulties into a silver lining. That's not what this is about. It's, it's that we can't hope to, we, we, we connect over that stuff, right? Like that's, that's how we, that's how we find our and expand our sense of love and care for each other. And so I don't think that trying to eliminate pain or suffering is either rational nor achievable. And instead, how do we meet our pain and suffering with love? And and take away the shame because so much of that is I'm ashamed of these hurts that I feel. So if I hide them, I don't have to share them. And then they uh, then I can't focus on the happy because I'm still sad, but at least no one knows why. Yeah. Whereas if you decide to say, I'm not ashamed of this, I'm going to be open about it. I'm going to have those conversations. The pain then becomes collective and then it may be a little bit more bearable as well. So, so beautifully said. I really couldn't agree more with you. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm so glad we finally got to meet and have this conversation. Can you let people know where they can learn more about The New Happy and connect with y'all online? Yeah, of course. You can find us at thenewhappy.com or on Instagram at newhappyco. And you can always send me a note, stephanie at thenewhappy.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing and giving us all these insights. And I cannot wait to read the book. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It was truly a joy to talk to you. And I feel so lucky to have gotten oh my gosh. you. Thank- I feel so lucky. So thank you. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Thank You For Asking. As always, you can let me know your thoughts on the episode, ask a question, or make a request for a future episode topic by emailing tyfapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow the pod at tyfapodcast on Instagram and visit us online anytime at tyfapodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and share Thank You For Asking with a friend or 10 friends. Thank You For Asking is a production of Read More Media. I'm your host, Amber Burns, and you can find me online at by Amber Burns. Have an amazing rest of your week, and I will talk to you all next Thursday.